Okay, so what does the Bible say about justice? The Bible does explicitly talk about the topic of justice, and it really defines justice in two different ways. It uses two different Hebrew words that run throughout all of Scripture to define or give us kind of like roadways of what justice is. The first is the Hebrew word mishpat. And mishpat means to receive or give what is owed. So the first sense of justice that the Bible has is to give or receive what is owed. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 1. Mishpat. The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as is their inheritance. Right? So this word inheritance is mishpat. Right? They're, they're not going to have land. They're actually going to live off of the other people of Israel because they are the servants of Israel. They're the priests. They're the ones that make sacrifice for the people of Israel throughout the year. And so you're actually going to give them, you're going to provide for them what is owed of them from their work. And so that's, a, that's an idea of justice. The tribe of Levi, they are going to serve you and you are going to give to them what is owed to them. So if, if one idea of justice is to give or receive what is owed, right? Like a wage or something like that. Then the Bible also uses this term in other ways where it talks about punishment, protection, care, and a lot of other things. And so you'll hear the Bible talk a lot about the poor and taking care of the poor, giving to them what is owed to them, right? Well, what's owed? Well, the Lord says, your care for the poor, right? Or judgment. There, there's so many times throughout, well, we're in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. There are so many times where, where the Bible says, if you do this, then blank, right? If you sin against the Lord your God, then he will judge you. Well, that's another form of justice, giving to someone what is owed to them. The second is, is um, tzaddikah, and it is like a, a manner of being just or righteous. So this is, this is like a lifestyle of justice, but most often it's not translated justice, it's translated righteous. And that's really important for us to understand as Christians when we think about the idea of justice, because the Bible is actually looking at justice in our lives in terms of righteousness. Well, what do we know about righteousness as believers? What we understand is that we can only ever act truly righteous if we have a right relationship with God. That's really important as we kind of develop our definition of justice, because what the Bible seems to be saying is, yeah, there's one sense where if someone does a good job, then you pay them for that job. And that is a just good thing. If someone in your society commits murder, then you put them in prison. That is a just good thing. If you have poor people that live in your community, then you start some sort of nonprofit and you care for them. That's justice. That's a good thing. But the other way in which we see it is you must act justly in your manner of living because that's who God is. And if God is your God, then you are called to put him on. And so then we live as Christians, we have truly just, truly righteous lives that are marked by fairness and generosity and equity. But all of those things are defined by not what we want in the moment, but God's word. They are defined by, they are kept in check by our relationship with God. So what does this mean? It means that 
our justice, the justice of the church must be guided by the Bible. Did I just blow your mind? All right, you're like, whoa, Pastor Tyler, that's, that was like the deepest thing I've ever heard, right? No, like you're saying, duh. Well, the reason this actually is a really important point for us to make, it's because it means that justice doesn't evolve, right? Justice for the believer doesn't change based on what's happening in the world. It's not like, okay, well, there's this new bad thing happening in the world. So now we have to figure out how to be just again. We have to figure out how to live rightly again. The Bible never changes. We have all that we need in order to treat people well, but it's always going to be according to what God's word says. And it's not going to ebb and flow and change with how we feel or how the culture feels. God's standard of justice will always be forever, no matter what happens in our world, his same standard of justice. It will be righteous. All right, the second thing, what does the Bible say about social justice? Or more specifically, what does the Bible say about justice? Well, secondly, it says, our view and treatment of people must be informed by God's view and treatment. So the Lord loves everyone in the entire world. Do do you realize that? Just because he acts righteously and condemns unrepentant sinners to hell, and because he saves some of us who are absolutely undeserving, that doesn't make him non-just. It actually makes him just, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love some and loves others. God loves everyone. He loves all of his creation. He loves all people, and he shows that love through his church. So Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do not wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Okay, so here's an important point. When God is talking to the people of Israel through the prophet of Jeremiah, he's not just talking about like the people you're cool with, right? He, so, so let's like bring it here. It's not like me saying, hey, um, cross point youth, make sure that we're being kind to cross point youth. Now, what Jeremiah is saying is, hey, do justice and righteousness, deliver from the hand of the oppressor, do no wrong or violence against who? The alien, the, the person that's not from you, the person that's not like you, the person that you didn't grow up with, the person that doesn't live in the same part of the city as you. Do good to them. Israel, church, That's your duty in the world is to do good to everyone. Why? Because it's God's creation and he loves them and he wants his justice to go forth to them. And then Romans 12 verses 15 through 18. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Again, you have Paul writing to the church in Rome and saying, hey, um, live at peace with everyone. You are going to represent me in the world and me loves everybody. I I created them. And even though you all have rebelled against me, I still love you. And in fact, I am calling preachers all over the world to invite people to come and to know me through Jesus Christ, my son, whom I sacrificed for unrepentant sinners, that they might someday confess their sin and come to know me as sons and daughters. 
The Lord loves all people, and he shows that love through his church. And so he extends his love in specifically two ways, though. So, so how exactly does he love, love us? Because it's not enough just to say, hey, go love them and just like kind of be good people. Right? That's, that's, that's not where we stop. Right? The church actually has a specific mission, a specific way that we are to love and extend the justice of God into the world. The first way is this, through something called saving grace. So John three sixteen, you probably know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he extends his love through inviting people in the world into a relationship where they could be saved, where they could trust in him and they could spend eternity with him because of that. But then there's another way, and it's something called common grace. So uh, Luke chapter 10, and it's verses uh, 25 through 37. This is what's known, uh, a a well-known story called the Good Samaritan. So essentially, um, they're asking him, like, who is good? What do I need to do? And he says, love your neighbor. And so starting in verse 29, uh, there's this, this, uh, I think he's a Pharisee. He's a law, it says he's a lawyer, so he's probably a Sadducee. Um, verse 29, but he, that, that lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man. And so Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story. And so verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Right, so they found this guy, they beat him up and he was laying there and he was, he was literally dying. Verse 31, now by chance, a priest, all right, so here we go, a religious man, everything is fine. So now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So essentially he's like, oh man, that's gross. Let me just kind of like get around that. He just sees this dying guy and he just tries to like slip by. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, right? This is, this is another guy who is from a line of priests. When he came to the place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side, right? So same thing. It's like, okay, you, you guys are like, why are you tiptoeing on the other side of the road? And then verse 33, but a Samaritan, in Israelites hearing this, they're like Samaritans, that's, that's gross. It'd be like a Georgia bulldog over here and being like, hey, um, by the way, we're going to have a party tonight and we're only inviting Auburn fans. It'd be like, that's gross, right? Or vice versa, whatever your thing is. I don't know. Y'all are weird here in the South. You get super upset about football. But essentially, when they hear Samaritan, they're like, ooh, gross. Like, who is this nasty person? Of course, he's going he's gonna to do the wrong thing for sure. Verse 33, but a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat him in his own, on his own animal and brought him to a, a hotel, essentially, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So in one instance, you have John 3, 16 saying, one of the ways God shows his love and his justice into the world is by saying, hey, by the way, I sent my son Jesus to die. And what I'm asking you to do is to believe in his name that you might have life. But there's another common grace type of justice that God says, hey, when you see somebody that's down and out, that has been robbed and beaten, don't you dare pass by on the other side of the road. 
you pick them up and you give them the last bit of your money to take care of them. And the, the Bible doesn't say that this man came to know God. It doesn't say that he became the best follower of Jesus that ever lived. It simply tells us that there was a, there was a man who was hurt and there was a good Samaritan who cared for him. Saving grace and common grace, both acts of love and justice. Our view and treatment of people must be informed by how God views and treats people. And then the third thing, what does the Bible say about justice? Our view and treatment of people and everyone else's is affected by sin. So the Bible calls us a lot. Like there's Deuteronomy chapter six, we're, we're about to read here, but the Bible says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible over and over again, it calls us and reminds us often to treat people like we would wanna be treated. So when we're trying to act justly and to show God's love in the world, one of the things we have to remember is that we're always doing that as sinful people. That every day you have to wake up and remind yourself, treat people like I wanna be treated, right? Every moment when someone's doing something and you're like, you know what, you know what you need? You need your mom to spank you, right? Well, maybe that actually is the case. I don't know, maybe people do need more spankings, not maybe, they definitely do. People need to be spanked way more than they are. Um, and parents should probably spank their children like until they're legally adults, which is about 18. So um, anyways, the Bible is always reminding us, treat people like you wanna be treated. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Here's one of the things you need to learn about yourself as a little sinner, right? You're a little sinner, I'm a big sinner, uh, simply because of our size difference. One of the things we have to know is that our sin nature will always try to squash the good Samaritan in us in order to serve me. Your sin nature, even after you come to God through Christ, his son, your sin nature is always going to be saying and whispering into your ear, serve you, serve you. But the Bible says, remember, whatever you want people to do to you, do to them. Whatever you want people to do to you, do to them. How you want to be treated, treat others. How you want to be loved, love others. All right, so what doesn't the Bible say about social justice? And so this is, this is where things kind of get a little um, difficult because the Bible doesn't really speak about social justice in the way that our culture does. So I have three things and we're going to move pretty quickly. Uh, so what doesn't the Bible say? The Bible does not say that social justice is truly accomplished through the redistribution of wealth and resources. So what that means is the Bible never says, hey, uh, the way to be just is for you to give away exactly half of what you have so someone beside you can have exactly half of what you once had. And so now you guys are even, right? So let's make it a math, a math equation. Uh, see, I'm so bad at math, I don't even know what the words are. Let's make it a math problem. You have 100 and the person beside you has 50. Well, what our culture would say is if you have 100 and someone has 50, you need to give them 25, so then you both have 75. Here's the thing, that sounds really nice. It, it, it does, 
And if I could do that, be a lot of people rolling around Columbus, Georgia with like fives, right? But here's the problem. Here's the problem with something like that. It sounds nice, but let's see what the Bible actually says about something like that. Here's what we have to understand. The Bible doesn't call us to practice impersonal, mandated redistribution. It calls us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to be really careful that we never view a topic the way the culture does if that means it forgets what the Bible actually says about that idea. The Bible never says, give away all that you have to someone so then things are fair. The Bible, the, actually, the Bible would say, actually, give away everything you have. If you're going to give away stuff to that person, don't be 75, 75, make them 125, and you walk away with zero. Why? Because that's the level of grace that God has. So we're not talking about giving away or receiving or anything like that. The Bible, when it talks about being just and caring, it calls us to be the hands and feet. So Isaiah, let's, let's flesh this out just a little bit. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Here the prophet Isaiah says to the nation of Israel, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. So here's what I want you to understand. Like this idea of learning, of seeking, of correcting, of bringing, of pleading, these are all words of decisive action, right? We're, we're not saying, hey, by the way, just give stuff away, right? We're telling you, you have to give stuff away so things are fair. The Bible is actually saying, no, you don't just give stuff away in, in, some, in, in some sort of um, impersonal way. My level of justice is you learning, it's you seeking, it's you correcting, it's you bringing, it's you pleading, right? You are to be people of action. And the reason being is because impersonal justice isn't a type of justice that actually originates in your heart. It's a justice that you're being made to do. And the Bible is always concerned first and foremost with our heart. And so when we're called to care for the poor, it's not saying, hey, just give them like half of what you have. So they have half, you have half. It says, no, learn, seek, plead their case, right? Do be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's calling us to make a choice. And the choice is this, to love God and to love other people, to choose to do that every single day. And you can't be made to do that. It only comes from a relationship with Jesus. The second thing, social justice, the Bible does not say that social justice is accomplished when everyone is free to live without limitations. So I think this is the one that's probably the biggest error of our modern society, right? They, they say, well, when everyone is free to do whatever they want, then there will be justice in the world. Again, I understand why that sounds nice, right? We have this thing called unalienable rights. You are free in this country to do whatever you please so long as it comes within the bounds of law. Well, here's a, here's a problem in thinking that justice means everyone just gets to do what they want and they're happy and everything is good and everyone is walking on clouds and everything is puppies and kittens. What we have to understand as believers is that nothing, not anything can actually truly be just and righteous if it encourages, protects, or fights for sin. Listen, young person, nothing is just if it encourages, protects, or fights for what the Bible calls sin. 
All right, let's make our case from the Bible. I don't want you just to believe me. I want you to believe the Bible. Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So here the Bible is saying, the, the prophet Micah, he's saying, listen, you, you know that the, that the Lord requires you to be just and kind and to walk humbly, but he ends it very specifically. How are we to do those things? With your God. What we have to understand as believers is that justice flows from God, not from us, not from in here. And that means that his standard, his word is justice. What the Bible tells us and gives us and calls us to, that actually is justice, right? This is not just a good way to live your life. This is not just a like, well, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. So guess what? This is a really nice Bible, so I'm not going to hit something with it. But what I want to do is I want to hit this like it's someone's face, but I'm not going to do that um, because I like this Bible. But we don't just walk around with this being like, hey, don't agree with you. Boom, right? No, this is justice because this is God's word. This is his standard. And so what that means, though, is that anything outside of this, outside of his word, outside of his idea of justice and goodness and righteousness, that's actually anti-justice. And so anything that encourages sin is actually not justice at all. It is the opposite of it. And when you are in a camp that is the opposite of God's justice, you are now an object of God's judgment. Why? Mishpat. Because a part of God's justice is getting what is owed to us, receiving what is rightfully ours. And so we have to be careful that we never find ourselves acting in a way that is just if it walks in opposition to God's word, right? This is why we've talked about hard topics this, this year so far. It's why we've dedicated ourselves to talking about these uncomfortable, difficult things. Because to be in opposition to God's word is to be an object of God's good, righteous justice. Number three, what doesn't the Bible say? Social justice means that there should be no discernible social classes or privileges. All right, so one of the things our culture is telling us in particular right now is that we should all be like middle class, right? There shouldn't be rich people. There shouldn't be poor people. <clears throat> all right, once again, that would be awesome because guess what? It means I wouldn't really have to be a poor person anymore. I, I don't know if you know this about youth pastors, but we're not like, you know, me and Bill Gates, there are a lot of things we have in common. Two things we don't have in common. I've never drank um, poop water. And number two, I uh, don't have billions of dollars. Uh, real quick and aside, can I tell you a short story? So recently, well, not recently, within the past couple of years, Bill Gates has been working on this um, project and it's a great project to bring health, like good uh, potable drinking water to the world. Well, one of the ways they're doing that is they're having engineers um, that are coming out of like MIT and all of these like Ivy League schools. And they're putting these things together and saying, hey, if anyone can create a way to make water out of whatever you can find, um, then we're, we're going to fund it. It's going to be awesome. We can save the world in terms of giving them drinking water. It's a great project. One of the ways they do that, one of the ways they came up with is recycling um, the after effects of eating and drinking. 
And so there was an article just recently of Bill Gates drinking. Um, uh, I, it was either called poo water or bubbly. I can't remember, but it's about the same thing. So, so anyways, what I'm saying is social justice says, okay, well, we need to level the playing field. Everyone needs to be on the same uh, social level, the same classes. We don't want cool people. We don't want not cool people. We don't want rich people. We don't want poor people. Everyone is the same. But here's the problem. The Bible never really addresses the fact that different social classes are in and of themselves sin or wrong. The, the Bible actually doesn't even say that money is evil. And so we have to be careful that when we hear these good things that we hear like at school or on the news where people are like, well, if we could just all be here. Well, the Bible doesn't actually seem to indicate that those things are bad in and of themselves. What the Bible is calling us to is not to be upset that there are different classes of people, but rather that we are to learn how to act justly to all different classes of people and people with different privileges, right? We're, we're called to learn how to love the rich. We're called to learn how to love the poor. We're called to learn how to love the popular person. We're called to learn how to love the not popular person, the jocks, the nerds. We're supposed to be, as believers, lovers of all of those types of people, Right? We don't get to walk around saying, well, you know what? If there just wasn't different types of people, then it'd be easy. Stop complaining and learn to love people. If you call yourself a Christian, you're supposed to love people. And who they are is not the litmus test of whether they're deserving of your love, because guess what? You're not deserving of theirs either. So Proverbs 14, um, 31, let's look at it real quick. So here's the, here's the problem with wanting everyone to be on the same uh, playing field. Proverbs fourteen thirty one. Whoever press, oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. All right. So here, right off the bat, God actually doesn't command the rich people to unrich themselves, right? The Bible is not saying, well, how dare you be rich? It says, hey, if you're rich, you need to learn how to bless the poor with what you have. Because, oh, by the way, what you have is yours because it was and is mine. I gave it to you. So what you need to do with that is love other people. Proverbs 28, 27, when, uh, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse, right? Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So here's one of the huge issues with the idea that everyone needs to be on the same social class. God's saying, hey, um, listen, if you give to the poor people, you'll never want for anything. Do you want to know one of the difficulties about being a kind, generous, loving, rich Christian? The more you give away, most likely the more God is going to give you. You can't outgive God. You literally, biblically, can't redistribute your wealth. Because the kinder you are, the more giving you are, the more God is going to bless you. So why can't we eliminate social classes? Well, one, because we have rich Christians who are generous and kind, and the Lord is going to continue to bless them as they give abundantly to other people, right? How many of you have ever done something like truly selfless and kind to someone? And you're like, man, you know what? I'm giving this away. And the next thing you know, you have like way more than you wanted. That has happened to you. Why? because that is the way the Lord has decided to work. So let's end it here. What do we do? What do we need to do with all of this? Three things. We need to bring people into our lives that need justice. 
We need to bring people into our lives that need justice. We should serve the poor. We should serve the widow. We should serve the homeless, the outcast, the downtrodden, the broken, the weak. And we must fight for the God-given right of all people made in His image. Number two, we need to make sure that we don't knowingly or unwittingly support sin in our fight for justice. We have to be informed and we must remain biblical. If something you've been supporting happens to also support something that is against the Bible, you need to stop supporting that thing. You don't get a free pass to unwittingly, well, I didn't realize, get informed. Any social movement that you're claiming, that that your friends claim at school, learn what it stands for first before you join the cause. You don't get a free pass. And then finally, uh, we shouldn't just complain about the ways in which the world falls short in showing justice. Don't just be a complainer. Don't sit behind a computer screen. Don't sit behind a phone screen and just complain about how horrible people are, how bad the church is, how bad the government is, how bad these people are. Stop complaining. If you really see injustice around you, then you need to be a source of change in your spheres of influence. One of the things the Bible always calls us to is to love the people most immediately around us. If you see injustice in the world, making sure, make sure that the people around you aren't suffering that same injustice. Because if they are, you can show them the love of Christ and that's actually real, tangible, life-altering change. Most of the time, your, your little tweet thing, your story, it does nothing. Start loving the people that are around you. Start making sure the people around you are okay. And then cultivate a lifestyle of justice. Don't just have a voice of justice. If your justice is only from your mouth and never from your hands, then it's not biblical justice. We're not supposed to just say, hey, there's a Samaritan. Anybody going to help this Samaritan? He looks, yep, he's, it's, I think he's dying. Hey, I just want to let you know, I think this is horrible. Anybody? Anybody. He does smell a little bit. Yeah, but someone needs to help him. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, go pick him up. If you are just in your voice only and you are not just in your life, then you need to change that. 